Welcome to Unlocked with Jordi Karlinski. My name is Jordi Karlinski, and I'm a former professional athlete turned real estate agent based out of Aspen, Colorado. In this podcast, I interview business and real estate professionals, coaches across many industries, and other athletes to deliver educational and life-changing content. If you are someone who has a thirst for personal and business development, who seeks growth in all aspects of your life, and who wants to dive deeper into real-life current events as they relate to business and real estate, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to episode eight of Unlocked with Jordi Karlinski. I'm very excited for this episode. Christina King and I dig into what it means to practice mental hygiene. We discuss the power of the outdoors for mental health, getting into a routine, and Christina goes over some suggestions when someone wants to talk about mental health and check in with a friend, family, or community members. Mental health is always an important topic. And during these challenging times, it is so important to check in with friends, family, and community members. I hope you have some great takeaways from this episode. To introduce my next guest, Christina King is a licensed professional counselor specialized in cognitive behavioral therapy. A Philadelphia native, she graduated from Penn State University and Westchester University with her master's in clinical psychology. Christina began her therapeutic career in community mental health directing acute and partial programs, hospital programs. She's the founder of Aspen Strong and co-founder of Changing Brains, Changing Lives Symposium. She sits on the Pickin County Board of Health. She is a member of the Denver Speaker Bureau and has been recognized for her leadership and advocacy in mental health on various panels and magazines, including Aspen Peak Magazine's 2015 Women of Influence. In her spare time, Christina loves to hike, ski, and spend time with her Australian shepherd, Addie. Welcome to the show, Christina. Hi, Christina King. So nice to have you on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you on this episode and teach the listeners more about you and what you do. Can you start off by introducing yourself and telling our listeners a little bit more about your personal practice? Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Jordi. Uh, My name is Christina King. I am a licensed professional counselor. And so I have a private practice in town that has evolved over the years. Um, I'm based as a mental health clinician, but that's turned into more coaching and consulting as well, where I really teach people, uh, my, my clients specifically from individuals to businesses about the growth mindset and how they can shift from perhaps one would say a victim mentality into a creator mentality. Um, so that, that's the short of it. I love my job and, uh, love my connections with the community and helping them to get into, you know, really fill the leadership role that they would like to achieve in their life. And I know you also founded Aspen Strong, a completely separate nonprofit entity. Can you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So with having that mental health background, I started my career in Philadelphia in community mental health. And as a clinician, uh, very closely tied to crisis in the department that I worked in, uh, I, I worked with a lot of people in need, but I also began to understand that connection to the community um, and how to reach out to private clinicians and how to increase that access to care. So as all that was evolving in the beginning of my found, the foundation of my career, 
I began to ask questions um, and those questions got a little personal when I wanted to get my own help. And so as I sought out for help for therapy myself for the first time in my life as a clinician, I really struggled to do that. Um, and so I, again, as, a, as the years go on, I'm formulating these ideas and making connections and that's how create, the creative process happens. And eventually in 2014, it all came to fruition and that was Aspen Strong. Um, so that also evolved over time as, as that creativity connect made the connections. But essentially what Aspen Strong is, is it's not an actual hub uh, to provide resources, but it's a hub to connect you to all the resources. So, so we have a lot of resources out there and let's be specific in our community. We have things from, you know, our community mental health center, which is Mind Springs Health. We have our crisis department, which is Aspen Hope Center. We have, you know, a slew, I mean, you know, hundreds of therapists from Aspen to Parachute having their individual practices. We have great organizations like the Buddy Program, right, who can, you know, do that mentorship for kids prior to or maybe kind of being that protective factor to mental illness. And, and then there's support groups like NAMI and AA, and there's just all these supports out there. But there really isn't a clear avenue of like, if I'm here, how do I get there, you know? Um, and honestly, globally, there really isn't clear avenues for how we make those connections and how we um, get the help that we need in certain, in certain areas, um, whether it's serious mental illness or it's meant, uh, mentorship, right? And so Aspen Strong was really meant to act as this promoter of mental hygiene and this connector of all the resources so that people, so that the stigma would be decreased and our people's abilities to really get that care would be right, would be available to them. So that's what Aspen Strong does. Uh, just specifically or shortly, it's a online anonymous confidential resource for people to connect to help to check in with their health, health and, uh, and get curious and take screenings and then make those connections outward, whether they're, you know, you or me making a referral or a doctor or you or me needing help or specific help. Well, that's so wonderful. And I think it's so necessary to have, like you said, anonymous resources or that you can be anonymous, go to this website, pick up on all these resources. Um, it's a great tool. I'll also link the website in the show notes for you. Um, and what you mentioned, practice mental hygiene. Tell me a little bit more about that and what you mean. Yeah, there, there's a great TED Talks out there. I'll just send it to you afterwards where this guy mentioned, mentions mental hygiene. And he talks about this idea where like he moved to America and is, he is a twin brother who lived in, I think Europe, somewhere in Europe. And on Thanksgiving or Christmas, one of those days, he's like waiting for his brother to call. And he, and he is waiting and waiting and hours goes by and he's kind of by himself in America where he doesn't really know people. It's, it's, it's like his first year here. And he starts getting depressed and lonely, like with these thoughts of like, my brother doesn't care about me. He forgot about me. He's doing his own thing. Why did I leave? Why did I come to America? I don't have anybody. And all this, you know, what Brene Brown would say is the stormy first draft or the shitty first draft, right? Mm -hmm. Like it was just coming to fruition. And he saw himself days after like slumping into a depression where then he finally connected with his brother and he goes, why didn't you call me? And his brother goes, I did. I tried calling you all day. The phone was off the hook. 
And his brother, he had no idea that like the receiver, you know, old times where like the phone, yeah. you're not on cell phones, right? His phone was off the hook the entire day. And he goes, I thought you forgot about me. And the other brother goes, I thought like, you know, and they yeah. both had this version of the story that led them into this isolating like feeling. And he talks about this idea of mental hygiene and, you know, and kind of saying how you really aren't always in touch with those thoughts to get curious with them or to even think, Oh my God, the phone's off the receiver or to say, why don't I call my brother? Why did I need to wait? So I love that um, Ted talks and it's inspired me greatly, obviously, because Aspen strong really highlights, like get a checkup on the neck up, you know, work on your mental hygiene. And it's very much become a part of my practice where, you know, mental health is over here. Mental illness is over here. Right. And mental hygiene is over here. You know, like, uh, you have cancer at stage four and you have getting checkups, you know, uh, from your gynecologist every year, you're doing your own or even better, a self, I'm like touching my breast, but like a self-examination, <laughs> right? Okay. Of, like, you know, back in the day, we didn't probably do this self-examination and be like, oh, I had a lump. Like you waited. And sometimes that led to like stage four cancer. Right. Well, it's, it's really no different. And, and I'm not, to, I'm not discounting some uh, biological uh, re- uh, connections to mental illness. I-, I think that that's obviously there and there's, you know, schizophrenia and borderline personality disorder and, or, I'm sorry, not borderline, um, bipolar disorder that obviously is very, um, met- there's a lot of chemicals imbalance there. But um, r- regardless of that, it's when we're not working on our mental hygiene, you know, when we're not flossing our teeth, Mm-hmm. That's when we're going to need a whole new set of teeth at age 35, right? When if I'm flossing my teeth and I'm, you know, brushing my teeth twice a day and I'm uh, gargling with the with whatever that stuff is called, then I'm going to go to the dentist like maybe twice a year, once a year, and I'm going to have good dental hygiene and I'm not going to need that surgery to get a new tooth or, or whatever it is. And that's just no different with our mind. And this mind is such, is this... um you know, really regulator of all the flow of information throughout our entire body. And if that mind isn't in check and in in a good place, how is it really able to regulate and keep a pulse on all the flow of information that's going through our body from all different avenues, like our physical or physiological or like all, you know, so um, that's where mental hygiene comes in. Sorry, I could... I could keep talking, but I won't. Yeah, well, and we can say on that note, so what are some of the tips or tools, I guess, that you can provide to clients or to community members to practice mental hygiene? Yeah, you know, I just, um, this is a great question. I actually just wrote them, uh, a couple of them in my Instagram page. I'm really trying to get interactive with like sharing resources and tools there. And talking about mental hygiene, like what does that really look like? And for me... Um, and I'm always learning and I'm always growing. Right. But where do I get curious with myself? I think is, you know, one of the number one things is curiosity helps me to get conscious of what works and what doesn't work. Right. Um, and, and how do I have that compassion and kind of sit there with myself? So, uh, journaling is huge. I I've been journaling, um, a lot more and more. And sometimes I get out of it and I'm like, Oh, I really got to get back in it. But you know, the research and the studies will say that the top leaders in the world journal 20 minutes, four times a week. Um, and if you practice it for even one week, you would already see the, the consciousness that would 
that would come to the surface about my thoughts, my feelings, my behaviors, why I do what I do, why I don't right. do what I want to do, you know, kind of thing. So I think that journaling time is super great. But then on that end, it's like, you really kind of have to make that time and space. So making that time and space is also a piece of mental hygiene. And whether that's to journal or that's to take a walk and get some me time, um, the, that's, that's definitely what's needed, but we're not always good at that. So, right. you know, if I want to, if I want to work on my physical health, sometimes I might hire a, a personal trainer, right? Really kind of holding me accountable to like waking up where I call my friends and say like, we're meeting at seven o'clock on, you know, every Tuesday at Smuggler Mountain. So creating those, what I call dates um, to either surround yourself with the right people who are going to challenge you um, and you're going to ask for that challenge and they're going to be candid with you and give that feedback or or it doesn't always have to always be on. It could just be those moments where you're spending time with people who if they're going to need, if they need to, because you're struggling, they're going to challenge you or coach you, but they're also just going to laugh with you. And, and laughter is such an, a, a huge piece of, in my opinion, really being emotional with yourself and releasing. Um, so I, I think laughter is, is just such a great piece to that. Um, and then therapy, you know, scheduling a time with a therapist or, or a coach. It doesn't have to be so... Um, I have a mental health issue. It could be, Hey, I need to sit down. Um, you know, I just had two clients this morning that were like, my husband and I are not communicating well. Um, and, and we're not sick. <laughs> we're just not communicating well. Right. Can we jump in your office for an hour and break down some tools? Um, and I just, I love that. I mean, that is like fuel to my fire of when someone mm-hmm. says, I, I just don't know. Can I ask for help? And so we need to do that for ourselves and ask for that mental hygiene. Um, so there was plenty of other tools in there at the moment. I can't think of them. Um, oh, that's okay. <laughs> well, I think it probably, you know, from my perspective, it seems like things that one you'll commit to, whether that yeah. is journaling or whether that is getting outside to exercise or it is, you know, seeking a therapist or just asking for help. I think it's maybe whatever someone is can commit to and can um, practice potentially on a daily basis. Yeah. And I, I would say like, stay, uh, stay simple too. Like sometimes it seems so overwhelming for people and it's like, just recognize what you do. Right. So yeah. like if I like to bike every day or I like to bike every weekend, practicing mental hygiene, like is just setting an intention with you doing that activity. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like, what do I want to get out of this? I want to laugh. I want to have a great time. Or, or I want to really, I want to, kick butt on that on those like five jumps and like practice them over and over and like praise myself for it that's mental hygiene it's it's just get it's just like reflecting and seeing like where can I make improvements or or maybe I'm good to go today and I just want to go there and just breathe with the fresh air and and you know it doesn't have to be that it could be read a book I want to read a chapter of my book today um I think you know dropping the world and get kind of getting in your head is also practicing presence, right? And that's the number one thing to, uh, I, I think, peace to mental hygiene is just having that presence with yourself to be in that moment and not be distracted by this mm-hmm. um, or whatever else is a distraction to us too. So I have a few follow-up questions on that. So, you know, we live in the Roaring Fork Valley. We're very fortunate enough to have the outside, the outdoors as in our backyard, no matter where you live. You can get on the Rio Grande Trail and bike and hike. You can go for a run. You can go rock climbing. There's so many, go skiing in the winter. We're so fortunate to live in a place where we have these capabilities. Is there 
a connection between nature and mental hygiene or mental health? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's vast amounts of research out there that talk about, you know, just taking a walk in nature is uh, supportive to your to your mental health. Um, how do I uh, how do I get to the root of that? You know, we're all wired for connection. Right. Um, and so it's why we always seek relationships. But the biggest connection starts with the connecting with ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. And so our. Our. Uh, I don't know if intensity, intensity is not the right word, but our um, greatness within that connection of, with others is solely dependent on the connection or the, the, gr- the greatness of that connection that we have with ourselves. And I think uh, sitting in a room with white walls isn't, oh, isn't actually inspiring to me by any means. Um, and it's, and it's why, you know, I asked my, my office person, can I paint this one wall? Can I throw up these stickers? Can I, can I make this more um, calming, peaceful, right? But nature just has that pure aesthetic to doing that already, you know, is getting yourself from away from the cars, um, sitting within nature. I, I mean, there is no more beautiful tree than the aspen tree, in my opinion. Although I am a little, I do love a pine tree. I love the smell yeah. of a pine tree, right? And so like, you know, our senses, those, those senses that we have, yeah, I've done like exercises in group therapy way back in the day um, where I just said, like, let's go sit outside and close your eyes and tell me what you smell and, and what you hear and what you feel and like feeling the grass or feeling the wet grass on your butt or, you know, like hearing the birds chirp. Some things that we mm-hmm. like don't even recognize because we're so focused. Right. Yeah. And um, just uh, feeling the coldness, you know, that, that the fall has changed and, um, being present with the environment, um, really allows us to be present with ourselves. Yeah. Um, you know, there's this, oh, I can't think of imagine, I think it's called this book called imagine. No, I think uh, I'll have to think of it later, but they're really talking about this idea that like this top down approach when we're focused is like, um, you know, this, this idea where like you, you go to work, you do your work, you get it done. It's eight o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the evening. And you're just like top down approach, uh, checking what I have to do and do it and at X, Y, Z. Right. And then, you know, they, they kind of explain like, there's no creativity in that. Right. And it, it could be often daunting. And I think that's why people get to this place of burnout because they work past the eight hours too. And they're constantly focused within that. Right. But this bottom up approach is when we actually walk outside or, and uh, our brain kind of relieves itself from this intensity and this pressure. And we get to kind of have, this is where creativity happens. We make connections with all the things in the world that have happened to us. And that's where we get inspired. Right. And so sometimes that happens when we're in the shower, but I think a large amount of that time happens when we're out in nature and just being able to kind of activate our senses and not be in so focused mode, but just be in this, you know, bottom up approach in our brain, just being creative and, and connecting all the pieces. So mm-hmm. uh, that's why I think nature is, is this, I think someone else can give you the better research on it, but I think that's why the research says that. Um, and yet you've been outside. I'm sure when you're outside, even when you're working, it's probably been more in, impactful to you in your day than when Absolutely. you're sitting. Absolutely. 
between four white walls. Yeah, no, I absolutely. And I think when it comes to practicing mental hygiene, for me personally, it's my go-to is nature. And whether, sure, if I can get out of service and not have texts or emails coming through, best option, not realistic. (laughs) But if I can go hike or go for a walk around town during the day, if I am working all day, it helps me, it helps me become more aware. um, And it helps me just kind of get re-motivated and, um, you know, really just feel so much better about myself and kind of helps me with awareness. And um, I guess, Another question for you is besides being in nature and you mentioned journaling as another way to practice mental hygiene, um, I think a lot of it comes down to becoming aware of your thoughts and your emotions and how are other ways that people can become aware of these things, especially I guess what I'm getting at in today's environment with the pandemic happening as we speak if say someone doesn't have mental health issues and they are resilient and they have a growth mindset, but they're maybe experiencing these low levels of anxiety and stress that maybe they don't often experience in their life. How can they become more aware of these things? Um, I guess. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the started off is, and you're probably going to correct, you're probably going to like, I shouldn't have said it that way, but you said if people don't have mental health issues and, but they have low levels of something. Well, the fact is, is that we all, have, we have a brain and we have a, which is, you know, a part of that is our mind, right? So we have mental health, right? It's like you can't, if you have a body, you have physical health, like, or, or you have physicality that is either healthy or unhealthy, right? And so the same with your brain, right? So we all have mental health, whether it's, whether our mental health is in check and it's good to go or it's suffering, like the level of the suffering suffering is uh, maybe not the best word right but like i may get the flu and i'm not physically i i'm physically ill in that, those moments right but like i just got the flu um and so i don't i could have probably there probably could have been preventive factors that would lead me to getting the flu like washing my hands and all that stuff but sometimes i just get the flu and i did everything i could right sometimes mm-hmm. i just get depressed and i did everything i could right? right and that's just normal i think like we have this this is what's hard is like we have this culture cultural understanding that if you feel sad or you feel angry or you feel anything on the spectrum of like this is emotions this this is numb and pissed and sad and this is happy and joyful and it's like if they're not this then there's something wrong with you right Mm -hmm. and like that's just not true like we have all different types of emotions and those emotions are actually when we talk about thoughts and feelings and how do we get curious is emotions are exactly what alerts us to what is going on you know anger is a great sign of i probably didn't set boundaries so if i'm angry that my boss is texting me at seven o'clock at night when I already left for work for the day, it's probably because I responded to him or I didn't turn my phone off. Right. right? Or I don't have clear boundaries with my boss. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we got to really check in with like, what are those emotions meaning? It, do- it doesn't mean that we're, that there's anything bad. It's just helping us to get curious. So like Susan David's work, well, she wrote this book called emotional agility. I think this book is just so pivotal 
Um, it very much intersects with Justin Bariso's book, EQ Applied, um, which is a really great, like, hands-on tip book. Um, but where, like, this idea of emotions, these, you know, if we have, I, I don't like to call them positive or negative, but I think the culture tells us that they're positive or negative, right? right. And so if we have a quote-unquote negative emotion, then we need to fix it and make it better, right? But, but what, what if we just get curious with it and sit with it for a while? Mm-hmm. What if we ask ourselves more question? What if we're like, what does this sadness mean? Oh, wait, I haven't connected with my girlfriends in like a month. Maybe we could do like an online date, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but we're so prone to saying that's bad, move on, fix it, make it better. And so that's where I think we go wrong. Like if, if taking a back step is like, how do we as an individual start recognizing that there are no good emotions or bad emotions. There's just emotions. And that if we recognize them as just emotions that allow us to know what we're experiencing side, then we can sit with it and get curious, right? It's hard to get curious when there's no compassion or understanding for what it is, or we're, we don't want to have compassion or understanding because we're triggered to think that something must be wrong. Right. That we need to fix it because something must be wrong. Right. Everything that's broken needs to be fixed. It's just that we're not toys. You know, we can't return us back to toys, the Toys R Us store. You know, it's like we're human beings and we're all we all break and we're broken. And that's actually the most beautiful part about who we are as a person. That's what allows me to connect with you. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just that's a hard concept. And I think people understand it logically. Yeah. But emotionally, it's really hard to process that, especially if you're raised in a home that's like, that's not a good feeling, you know, and it, you know, and so you're going to see like the emotionally, the emotionally uh, adaptive people, the ones who have growth mindset and are really be able to be resilient is that they have actually the the highest levels of self-compassion and they understand what emotional agility is. And they're able to sit within their emotions. And the people that are struggling with resilience and or meaning another, another word for that or a better way of saying that is bouncing back in, in circumstances, you know, COVID for that matter, right? Um, is that they're stuck, um, with understanding what these feelings mean and, and attributing them to a belief system that may not be true about ourselves. Right. Um, it's like, well, I go home from work. I don't have a kid, but I'll use an example is that like I, I go to work, but I have my daughter at home and she's uh, not going to school and I have to do all of her work with her. But I also have to make dinner and I also have to say hi to my husband and I have to do this and I have to do that. And I'm just, you know, I, I can't even I don't know how anybody's holding it together. Right. Yeah. And so I can't that that thought, that place that we go to, especially when we're triggered um, is I must be a bad mom because everybody else looks like they're doing it great. And I must be a bad, then I'm a bad wife. Then I'm a bad person. Then I'm a bad employee. And I really should just quit because I'm bringing everybody down. And that's just, you know, the story that we make up in our head, which isn't exactly the truth. It's just the truth that we've been telling ourselves. And so how do we get, how do we be more aware of that story that we're telling ourselves? And that's where journaling can be super fruitful. 
mm-hmm. and having those connections with our, you know, I call seven, who are your seven people that know you or know your value system and are going to check in and be like, you didn't show up to work for the last four days. What's going on? Right. You know, like I, you're, I, I miss you at work and what's happening. Meanwhile, the person probably didn't show up to work because they think they're a failure. Who knew? Right. Not because they're sick. Um, right. So anyway, uh, getting off course a little bit, but. No, all good. And I think, you know, that to me, I, I guess my understanding with it all is it's so important to build your personal support system or toolbox, if you will. And like you said, with journaling and your seven person support system, it's so important when you do have these, um, I guess, negative thoughts that lead to maybe these negative actions, etc. And maybe bring someone down a downward spiral. Yeah, because so when we're depressed or when we're anxious or when we're angry, that's our our brain is the amygdala in our brain is definitely being triggered um, and it's hijacking our brain. Essentially, it's mm-hmm. hijacking the logical part of our brain. So, you know, you laugh at me, but I do this thing. Oh, all my animals came out. I, I talk <laughs> about the brain and, you know, Kathy Hedberg is pivotal in teaching this in our community. Um I think it's kids first that she worked on, but like, here's my hand brain, right? In, or my hand brain. And when I open it up inside is the hippocampus, which is like mm-hmm. the elephant of my brain. And what's an elephant known for? Um, water. Snorting <laughs> 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 water. Remember? <laughs> like I really have sure. no idea. <laughs> it's, it's, it's known for memory, right? And so every single thing that's ever happened to me is stored in this part of my brain, right? And on top of that amygdala, or I'm sorry, top of that hippocampus is the amygdala, which is like the guard dog of the brain. And what are guard dogs do? Uh, they're aware, they're barking, they're protective. <laughs> the protective is perfect, right? So if you're for me, you're chilled, hanging out on top of my elephant, totally, you know, cool as a cucumber, like my puppy sitting in the office. And if you're against me, I'm barking and in protective mode, right? And that leads to fight, flight, or freeze, right? right? And so this part of the brain is like the reptilian brain. I often say it's like discovery channel, like big animal eat little animal, which isn't exactly true, but let's just go with it, right? So mm-hmm. I, I'm in survival mode, fight, fight, or freeze, right? Right. And so we're not animals and we're evolved creatures. And we have this part of our brain that's called the prefrontal cortex that goes all the way over to the front of the forehead. And that's known as the owl of the brain. And what are owls known for? Oh gosh, you're really putting me on the spot here. (laughs) I'd say, um, you don't know it's because we're videoing each other. (laughs) Yeah. I would say, I mean, they have, yeah, they're just, uh, wise I <laughs> exactly how many like does it get, take to get to the center of the tootsie roll we all have that commercial growing up and it's this owl with the glasses right and wise right foresight insight all that stuff mm-hmm. right and so that's the logical big picture of the brain that makes sense of everything that's the problem solver right right but there's a couple things here is that do you know the, the prefrontal cortex doesn't get developed to what age Ooh, um, are you in the middle school age? I really don't know. 27. Oh my goodness. Way off. Yeah, right. So like if, as you're evolving, right? Like this is where we create, you know, Tina Payne Bryson quotes the yes brain or her book, her and Dan Siegel of the yes brain, right? And so what they're talking about is how can parents 
you know, help their child to create this yes, meaning this adaptive brain, right? And it's helping them to get curious. So it doesn't mean because I'm not 27, I can't get curious and learn about my thoughts and my feelings and build that emotional agility. It's just that I need a lot of support from out from my my caregivers, right? And my right. teachers, and all that stuff, right? Here's the other piece to it is, is do you know any owl that sits on a tree branch with a dog barking underneath of it? Um maybe <laughs> is that yeah, a trick I mean, question <laughs> i mean it really wouldn't make sense like birds fly away when when there's right. like things barking at it right and so like that's exactly what happens is we become you know we sense threat and let me just remind you is our physiolog like our brain does not cannot tell the difference between a physical threat and emotional threat right so bear chasing me or my best friend not picking up my phone calls same thing mm. in my brain, right? And so dog barks, Al flies away. My ability to make logical sense and say, my best friend's on a vacation. She doesn't not like you. Or she's, yeah. she took on this big job. It's just like she's, or she got a new boyfriend. They all leave, mm. right? When they get a boyfriend, right? <laughs> and so, right? Like it doesn't, my capability of really getting curious with myself is just hijacked. That's what they call the hijacked yeah. brain, which essentially means here's my hand brain. It gets disconnected, right? And my ability to connect with you and the world is limited because I'm not connected with myself, right? And so in order for me to get curious and make sense and challenge those negative belief systems, I have to get connected. I have to bring that owl back online. And the only thing that does that essentially is compassion, Hmm. is is that ability, that narrative that says... It's not that your girlfriend doesn't like you. It's just that she's busy or I don't know what happened. Maybe you did do something, but just check in with her. Like she's your girlfriend, you know? Um, And so when we can understand that process, which is why I talk about it all the time, one, it allows us to have more compassion because we realize that our physiological brains just do what they do because that's how, that's just how our body works, right? It's, we didn't, you know, like it, it, some of this isn't necessarily intentional. It's just really like when you have a puppy and it starts barking, like it just doesn't, it just wants attention or it doesn't feel safe. And just like a baby, when it cries, it's, you know, there's a million cries, right? I'm hungry. I got to poop my pants. I got to, I'm, I, I want attention. I'm tired. Right. And as a parent, we need to help that child to feel safe, seen, soothed and secure. And when we can do that, then we settle it. And then the dog or the, you know, the cry, but essentially the dog, the amygdala is no longer barking. Right. And that's no different for ourselves that there's a little girl or a little boy inside of all of us, right? Or a little person, let's just call it that way. There's a little person mm-hmm. inside of all of us that didn't really have a developed prefrontal cortex that gets triggered every once in a while. And how can our big self help our little self to feel safe? seen, soothed, and secure. And that's the goal. And when we can realize that, I think our compassion levels go up and our emotional agility increases. And that's why social emotional health is so important to teach in schools and to teach our kids as we, as we evolve that we're, we don't have this judgment that we're supposed to just know how to do it. You know, it's not about doing the best. It's about doing our best. And that's, that's a different narrative one coming yeah. from an abundance or a growth mentality and the other coming from a scarcity mentality. So 
that took us down a long road. Sorry. Yeah, no, and I think that's wonderful. I mean, I I love the the elephant, the the dog, and the owl, and that's a visual. I can see you. Listeners might not be able to, but it's a visual that I can take with myself um, to further really understand the brain because it is obviously very complex. Um, You talk a lot about growth mindset. Can you just explain what that is and why it's so important? Yeah. So I think like growth mindset and abundance mindset are are the same. Uh, If somebody wants to correct me, I'm totally fine with that. That'll be (laughs) some knowledge for me. Um, but you know, the opposite of growth, the opposite is fixed, right? Like this fixed mindset, the opposite of abundance is scarcity, right? So fixed mindset or scarcity mentality is that like, there isn't enough. I'm not enough. There isn't enough in the world. And, um, I have to do more. Like I overcompensate to get more and, and thinking that I need to do more. Right. And so that's like, um, I don't know. It's COVID, right? You know, one of the biggest things coming through my door is people's businesses having shut down. And then all of a sudden, especially, unfortunately, in our town, there has been a lot of, um, you know, we thrive off of vacationers coming to town. So, right. So that's fed up hugely. Right. Right. And so now it's like, take what you can get. Right. <laughs> and it's like, bring it all on because I didn't, I didn't make money and I couldn't pay my rent or my mortgage or not the way I wanted to. And so now I got to get in it to win it. Right. And so that's not essentially a bad thing. It's just when we don't have boundaries and realize what our intentions really are. It's like, okay, did I I have to make up for that? What does that look like? And then how do I know that I've made up for that, that I don't maintain that mentality? And that's just really, there's no right answer. The only answer is you getting curious with yourself and being introspective and saying, well, you know, I have have a client who's a, you're a real estate broker, you know? And so uh, this person is too. And it's like kind of, that's a perfect example of like, market just flew right up. So, hey, if I really take advantage of this, I might actually be able to take off for a couple of years and make up for what I lost. And who doesn't want to take advantage of that? But when we do it to the point where we don't see our kids, we don't hang out with them, we're on the phone constantly, we can't sit you know, down for an hour with our friends or in a therapy session for that matter, or, or a personal training session without picking up our phone and responding to people and being on it 24 seven, or be able to go up smuggler with just leaving our phone in the car because I can't miss that person. Because if right. I don't, then I, then I'm not going to get that, that financial benefit. Right. And it's like, I get it. If your financial budget isn't in check and you really need to get that, there is just a fine line. Uh, between a fixed mentality and a growth mentality. And I'm telling you, the number one piece to that is intention. Is that, you know, we can be reactive or we can be responsive. And the only thing that makes that different is us getting curious and having an intention. And so, you know, my response might be the same. I still may take my phone up smuggler because I am waiting for this phone call. I did that yesterday. I was like, this is my hour break or my 40, you know, it took me 40 minutes. This is my 40 break to like... Like just yeah. breathe in nature, right? And like play with my dog and laugh and have a good time, right? And but I was like, darn it, I just made this phone call and I really wanted to talk to them and I miss them and I guarantee you they're gonna call me on this call. Now I didn't, 
But I was like, but Christina, this is also your break. So you're 100% not allowed to do anything but take this phone call. And I didn't take the phone calls because it didn't come in. But if it did, like my intention on taking my phone was because that one thing was important to me. But I set a boundary with myself and was like, no other stuff comes through, right? And if I wasn't able to do that, I probably would have said, listen, don't take your phone, right? But there, but the, but the intention is so important because I could have taken, taken my phone and then I could have got five other phone calls and then I could have checked Instagram and then my, I could have lost my dog by that time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there's just these little tweaks that we make and it just yeah. setting an intention for the day is, is, really the piece that shifts it from fixed to growth, from scarcity to abundance, right? Mm -hmm. Am I not enough? No, I am enough. I'm enough to do this, but let's just set boundaries around it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, I think, you know, as my background in athletics and in sport, we learn a lot about the growth mindset, although they're probably at the time, well, there wasn't a name for it what, through my experience. Um, my yeah. coaches and my, I guess, sports psychologists, I can't remember them ever using growth mindset. And again, this is years ago. And um, I think it's so important to have it. And like you said, set intentions. And I think it really also comes down to kind of bringing it full circle back to that awareness piece and that compassion piece. When you're able to respond instead of react in a moment's time, it all comes down to being able to pause, notice what's happening in your mind or whether maybe you're um, a somatic person within your body and then making that choice to move forward in a more productive or growth mindset way. Yeah. Think of it this way too is I think Brene Brown articulates this very well in some things that she does, but I, I'm a cognitive behavioral therapist, so we're always looking at how how my thoughts and feelings and behaviors interact with each other, but how that's also reflective of how I view myself, my world, and my mm-hmm. future. So it's just like triad, right? How I view myself predicts my thinking, first circle. How I view my world predicts my feeling, next circle. How I view my future predicts my behaviors, third circle. And they're just, they're all connected. One, you know, they all feed into each other, right? Okay. And like that's, think of like a stool. A stool has three legs, right? And in order for me, I mean, if I pull out a stool with two legs, I'm probably going to fall over, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be so steady. If I pull out a stool with one leg, still not going to be steady, right? My ability to sit securely and maybe confidently, if you want to talk about, right, compassionately, is my ability to really sit on a chair with three legs. And so that's kind of the same as being aware of thought, feeling, behavior, how I view myself, how I view my world, how I view my future. And it, and it, good or bad doesn't really matter. It's just me being aware of that, which allows me to sit on the chair. Now, if I want to do something different while I'll sit on that chair, then that, then I get curious, right? Does that, does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, again, that's a really great visual tool to move forward when you're thinking about kind of that balance and how to have that balance. Yeah. Um, let's, let's shift gears a little bit to the current environment with the pandemic. Um, what are you seeing in your business right now in terms of the local community? Are you getting more people coming in? What's going on? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I'm definitely getting more people coming in and I think it's amazing. I, I, uh, 
it's amazing for many reasons um, to the point that I've had to set some boundaries with it, right? <laughs> Be like, whoa, whoa, what's happening here, right? Um, and really get intentionful. Um, but what's amazing is the amount of people reaching out for help. And, and, you know, a lot of it's not especially COVID related. I think it's maybe COVID triggered it or it's just space and time that people have, um, or they, they felt that they have in order to get more curious with themselves, but they got curious and then were like, oh, now I don't know what to do. Right. Cause I'm, I want to, I have to equip my toolbox in order for me to know which tool to take. Right. So there's a combination of that. And I don't know if it's like what I do or the shift in my own practice has actually, and this would only make sense is law of attraction has actually attracted those people who already somewhat are in a growth mindset, um, are not necessarily in crisis mode. Not to say that I haven't had a few people, um, kind of be close there. Or some longer term clients, definitely in May and June, we were like, whoa, like red flag, you're definitely more anxious than normal, or you're depressed, or we can see some behaviors that are not, that are leading us down a bad route. And what are we going to do about that? So we've definitely had those conversations. I'm sure crisis in many ways has increased. I know that I have. Um, you know, personally, my family had someone take their life by suicide and, um, I'm, I'm saddened by that. And, um, I just think like crap, how awful it is for someone to feel so alone in this time and not feel like they could reach out for help or not feel like they were worthy enough of help. Not even think that help was that they were, you know, that change could be a possibility. And so I know that there's people out there right now that are super, I'm getting a little emotional. Sorry, because I'm thinking about yeah, it, but yeah, so I know sorry, that, sorry. yeah, thank you. I know that there's people out there who definitely, um, and maybe, maybe on the forefront, they look like they were, they were resilient. Maybe they were right. But for whatever happened and you know, we can't, I, it's, I'm not here to make sense of the whole world, right? Like I don't have the answers, but for whatever reason, you know, people get there and it's not, it's just not COVID, but Definitely COVID is, is, uh, I know a huge trigger for people having lost their jobs, um, and changes. So there's a lot of stuff going out there. I do think that, you know, you're going to see, I think law of attraction is, is, uh, tracks what you see, right? (laughs) Attracts what you see. And it's like, I look from a growth mentality. So I see the connection and I see the love and I see the support and I see the, um, the people volunteering and, um, and, and the people who are taking advantage of this time, whatever time this means to them to kind of recheck themselves or to say, well, how can I make the best of this? How can I set better boundaries? Um, and I know that there's people out there too that are having a hard time with their, their emotions and their feelings. And it's coming out in, in ways that other people would not prefer. Um, and I see that as all opportunities for us to connect even more. So, um, I think it's interesting. I think COVID because no one is immune, right? Emotionally, no one's immune. I don't know who someone can challenge me on the physicality of that, right? But, um, emotionally, no one is immune to this pandemic. And I think for the first time in a long time in history, it's so, um, uh, it's such a universal feeling that we're recognizing mental hygiene more than we've ever had before. 
and and the importance of what that means. So I don't think that mental hygiene isn't important at any other time or that it's more important now than it is post-COVID or pre-COVID. I think it's always important. Um, I shouldn't brush my teeth more because of COVID, you know, like it just, and so it's just that I think universally and a lot of our leaders that sometimes set the tone are seeing it and feeling it and saying, yeah, well, we're missing. And so like, you know, there's this idea, we don't have to be in reactive mode, right? We don't have to always react to the situation and how do we respond to things like this and to respond to COVID. COVID's not going away because we can continue to be reactive or we can be responsive. And um, it's uh, it's quite a great um, piece of insight that the world has inherently shown us through its pandemic. Absolutely. So, you know, what are some of the ways if, if you do have a loved one, if you do have a family member or someone in the community that community that you could see is struggling and whether that is, you know, for because of COVID or other reasons, what are some tips that you have for people to reach out if they are concerned about a friend or a family member or a community member? Yeah, I think um, a couple things here is one, I always think like radical candor. I love Kim Scott's book on radical candor. It's very businesslike, but like I love radical candor. It's like share the challenge, but share the empathy. And I guess really what I'm saying is we don't have to challenge, especially if you see somebody really struggling, you know, like let's not challenge them right. just yet. Let's build that connection first, right? But I, what I mean by that is like, let's stop sugarcoating stuff and let's stop saying like, ah, oh, I'm not their mom. I don't think I should say anything. Damn it. If you feel concerned, say it. I am concerned. I love and care about you. I don't care if it's Joe Snow down the street, like my neighbor. I'm not quite sure I would say I love him, but I would say I care about you. You make me smile every morning. You check in with me and I've noticed a difference. And I, I just, you may not want to talk about it, but I want you to know that I see something different and I'm here for you and I got you, right? Now, if you have signs of suicide, or signs of like deep depression, ask the question, are you suicidal? Stop. Everybody, you know, there's people, I, it just blows my mind. And sorry, I get a little, little annoyed over this one. Is they're like, but that's not my place to ask that question. You know, managers will say that. Uh, parents will say, I, I don't know. And it's like, no, no, no. It's all of our job. That That's how we, if, if somebody falls at work, it's our job to say, wow, are you okay? Not because we, just because we care about them, but also because like they fell at work, right? Like, so if it's in front of us, it's our business, you know, and say like, are you suicidal? I want to help, like, tell me. And honestly, people being like, no, I am not suicidal. It's going to let you know. Yes, I have suicidal thoughts. I am not going to act on them. Gives you some really great, it allows everybody to know exactly where they're at, right? And that person who's sitting there suffering is like, damn, this person cares about me. And I got to really be honest, right? And, or, and say possibly like, yeah, I have a plan. And that's exactly what that person needs sometimes. And it's hard because you talk to people who are friends and family, obviously myself, and we're like, why do we not see the red flags? And so don't judge yourself because you didn't see the red flags because you're sitting in the same seat I am because I have a family member too. It's just that they didn't want us to know too, you know, but let's put focus on what we can do for ourselves to make sure that we're in a good place and connect with the people who are here and make sure they're in a good place. 
I wanted to say something else. Oh, a lot of times people come in the office and they say, I will get a lot of phone calls. And I think this is great. If you don't know, or are you concerned about someone, pick up the phone and call. You know, the Hope Center probably does that on a regular basis. It's, it's not even the person who's calling that needs help. It's the person who's calling about the person. Right. Don't be afraid to call and say, I have no skills whatsoever, but this is what I feel. And like, please help me. Right. And like, cause I can't help the person who's suffering if they're not going to reach out, but I can sure as heck give you tools to reach out. And so let's focus on how I can equip you with the right tools so that you cannot just share that with this person that you're concerned on about, but that you can have them for yourself and all of the people that you're, that are in your network and that you're going to encounter throughout your life, right? If we equip ourselves with those tools of building curiosity with ourselves and we can share that with other people, um, and not be afraid to talk about our emotions and not be afraid that if they're, you know, quote unquote negative emotions that, that doesn't, you know, if someone has a suicidal thought, it's not, we don't have to call, we don't have to freak out for a second. Like it, it doesn't, it's not really far fetched. I, I always say like when I would uh, have a new class in college, I would sit the first day and like you learn all the things that you have to do. And for me, it was so overwhelming. I would just get like bouts of anxiety. Like I can't do that. And I'll never be able to present this or I don't know how I'm going to do that research paper. And the thing is, it's like, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in the class. I don't want to be there. And not wanting to be in this world is really just the extreme of that. So it doesn't not make sense to not want to be here sometimes. And it doesn't want to, it doesn't not make sense to not want to be in a classroom sometimes or to be pressured, right? That's not the problem. It's the problem when we don't have the tools to relieve ourselves from that pain and know that there are avenues. And if the avenue doesn't work this way, then that there's other avenues and that we can make it work. Um, yeah. So that's my feedback on that. Yeah. And I mean, it's all, I mean, this conversation has been so insightful, so important and, there are so many resources out in the world and also within the Aspen community, Roaring Fork Valley for people who are suffering from suicidal thoughts or also, I guess, more severe mental illnesses, um, if I'm saying that correctly. Um, thank you so much, Christina, for your time. It's, is, again, this is just so amazing. I'll link um, to your websites in the show notes, but where else can people connect with you? Yeah, um, Instagram, uh, CMK underscore coaching, um, or Christina M. King, uh, dot com is my website. And there's a, a resource page and a book list, a bookshelf, and uh, all these videos categorized in different areas. So uh, feel free to take advantage of the videos and the books and all that stuff. Like, you don't always need to touch base with a therapist or a coach. Like just, you know, find the resources, watch a TED Talks, watch a YouTube video, listen to a podcast, mm -hmm. um, all these great resources. So thank you so much for having awesome. me today. Thanks for being curious about mental hygiene and inspiring our world to get curious about it too. You're so welcome. And thank you. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you liked the episode and the show, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast and share it with friends. As a new podcast, this is the best way you can support the show. To see more about each episode or to connect with me, head on over to my Instagram page at Jordi Karlinski.